0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Reginald Jeeves and Bertram Wooster from the short stories Jeeves Takes Charge Birdie changes his mind, and without the option. And joining the discussion is returning guest, John Dorowski. Welcome, John. Thank you, and I brought a fun fact for us this time. Oh, okay. Do you want to do that right now?
1: Might as well. It's short. The meteor that killed the dinosaurs is also the reason why tomatoes are red.
0: Okay, so this isn't related to the... Uh, no, just the, okay. no, just a fun fact we're discussing Okay Just a fun fact I was waiting for the uh, Wooster and Jeeves tie-in It never came You just People are now more informed Alright Do you know why What
1: it what it did that resulted in red tomatoes? Uh, uh, it resulted in mutation That the tomatoes had to be hardier And having the red skin Helped with that
0: Okay Alright, so there it
1: is The meteor that killed the dinosaurs Is the reason why we have ketchup
0: All right, Uh, but today we are talking about the Jeeves stories, which were written by P.G. Wodehouse between 1915 and 1974. That is a long run of writing a pair of characters. Uh, Jeeves is The Gentleman's Gentleman. To his gentleman wooster jeeves is remarkably competent and assured while wooster is remarkably incompetent and assured and we are discussing jeeves takes charge which was first published in 1916 birdie changes his mind published in 1922 and without the option published in 1925. now john uh i believe you have read far more wooster jeeves or Wodehouse uh in general than i have these are the first stories that I've actually read and it is, so was oh. that your recommendation so how did you first come to uh these characters Wooster Jeeves
1: so I probably heard about it in during college and I took a course on comedy and I think it came up in that but I had we didn't read the text then and then I saw some of the uh Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie mm-hmm. series adapting them and then uh, one of the podcasts I listen to, the Classic Tales podcast, uh, f- frequently uh, does readings of Wodehouse. And so I've gotten a lot of him through that. And uh, ju- it was just a couple of weeks ago before this recording that uh, they went through a short story collection. Um, I think Carry On Jeeves is what these are all from. And I said, oh, you know, like this would be might be a good opportunity. They're doing this joseph wanted to do uh some stories and maybe we can combine that and so like that was the uh initial inspiration of why doing this set of stories mm-hmm. um, but i know it's probably one that you will have gone to eventually
0: anyway yeah and uh i will also give a shout out to that podcast the classic tales podcast i listened to the the readings uh that, that uh they have who's the narrator of that do you remember the name off the top of your head EJ harrison BJ Harrison. I was very impressed with his uh voice work and uh just his talent at narration.
1: So just briefly, that podcast is they each week they do an hour from a book or they do a short story from something, and uh it tries to he tries to alternate those. So he'll do a book and then a couple of short stories. And he's been doing it for over ten years.
0: Releases an hour of content as a podcast every yeah. week,
1: right? It's yeah, it's all the uh, public domain stuff, so
0: nineteen twenties <laughs> uh, and past that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if he's been doing it for ten years. There's quite the back catalog of free, very high quality uh, audio narration. So of uh,
1: classic stories. Yeah, there is a backlog, but also at some point he removes it and puts it on on sale on his website. Mm-hmm. But the prices for those are very very reasonable. Oh, okay. uh, usually under twenty. Uh, usually everything's under twenty dollars, and so it's like five to twenty for depending on the length of the book.
0: Okay. Well, like I said, um, outside of I, catching an episode or two of the. Uh, Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry adaptations of this. These were the first, uh, Wooster Jeeves stories that that I've read. I, I liked them. I enjoyed them. I will definitely listen to some more of that Classic Tales podcast, uh, you know, performance of some of the Wodehouse stories. Um, and like you, I think I'd heard the name Wodehouse and kind of come across it, um, just in terms of comedy writing and in particular a very dry, sardonic tone of comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very, uh, I mean, in some ways, I think you want to say like British comedy for that, but British comedy can also be the super absurdism of Monty Python. Uh, and this yeah, is and, and, not heading in the Monty Python direction. And you kind of get a balance of that because G or
1: not Jeeves, Wooster is a bit absurd. Mm-hmm. Jeeves is the very dry.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, some trivia about this series. So if you have any association with the name Jeeves and English manservants, it is because of White there- stories.
1: Wasn't there a, early on a uh, web
0: search engine called Ask Jeeves? John, let me read you the next line of my trivia. Oh, if okay. you were on the internet in the late 1990s <laughs> and early 2000s, you may remember a search engine site called Ask Jeeves. Uh, and that was named after the character from these stories. And Wodehouse named the character Jeeves after a popular English cricketer, Percy Jeeves. Um, that Jeeves, the real life one, would be killed fighting for Britain in the First World War shortly after the fictional Jeeves was first published. Um, so, but his name uh, certainly is is very well remembered uh, because of this character that was inspired by his name. Um, and yes, uh, Ask Jeeves. I looked into like a little history. It's one of those websites that like uh, w- was publicly traded at on the stock market, was sold and bought multiple times for millions and then billions of dollars, and then just disappeared and went away. Um, what a strange world when you try to understand <laughs> e- economics and. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the, the, these imaginary systems we've propped up and decided that this is this is what our, our, our how our economic systems are going to work back and forth um in total wodehouse wrote 35 jeeves and wooster short stories between 1915 and 1930 uh those were the short stories and then he wrote 11 novels between 1934 and 1974 The characters have been adapted into film, radio, and television. A couple loose film adaptations were made in the 1930s. There was a TV show called The World of Wooster that was made by the BBC in the 1960s. And then also Jeeves and Wooster were television spokespeople portrayed by different actors in a series of commercials for a sherry brand in England in the 1970s and 80s, including Jeremy Irons played Wooster in one of those ads. So rotating actors playing these Short story characters selling alcohol so <laughs> i can I can see Jeremy I's Jeeves. I don't know if I could see him as Wooster. I'm pretty sure I wrote it down right that it was Wooster. I can double check that after you know, we, uh, you know, may, maybe a little uh, later on. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it was it was Wooster. Um, Jeeves and Wooster, starring Stephen Fry as Jeeves and Hugh Laurie as Wooster, was made in the 1990s for the BBC. Radio adaptations of the stories have been produced since the 1940s up through the most recent that I saw was a 2018 BBC radio series called Stiff Upper Lip Jeeves. And there have been many stage productions adapting various stories. Um, Wodehouse also came out of uh, theater. Uh, playwriting, and I think some of his descriptions are distinctly, uh, you know, felt like almost like theater scene descriptions. Well, this the is way a, they presented some of them.
1: This is a lot of farce mm-hmm. uh, built into this, and that would play very well in theater.
0: Yes, uh, yeah, I could definitely feel, um, you know, the the tradition of like um importance of being earnest, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of uh, tone being present in in uh, the Woodhouse short short stories. Um, There have also been two musicals adapted for it, (laughs) neither of which I had heard of, so I don't think they were big hits.
1: Did you have something you were going to add there, John? I was going to say, and uh, Frasier, you could definitely see that Mm -hmm. that's inheriting from this long tradition of farce, but Chiefs and Whistler is part of that.
0: Oh, and there is one episode of Frazier where he gets a butler, and it... That's right. It could have been Jeeves uh, (laughs) the the way that it was played, Uh, you know, the slightly more knowing uh, being played against the the kind of farcically inept, but entirely reliant upon, uh, you know, his his uh, his butler. Um, Let's see the character of Jeeves appears in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comic books, and there is a Japanese manga series called Please Jeeves that adapts these short stories. Numerous books make references to the characters. The Wodehouse Estate has allowed a few new stories to be written with the characters. Um, a parody, uh, "Scream for Jeeves," puts Jeeves and Wooster into the action of H.P. Lovescrafts, "The Rats in the Walls." <laughs> so, uh, these these characters, uh, it, it's I, I love it when I find these characters that I'm maybe only like familiar with their existence, and then I start looking to it. I'm like, oh, this is like oh, almost a century old, and incredibly in depth and impactful on, yeah, on culture around us. Uh, it, well, I think uh, Anglo culture; it's uh, ingrained in there. But and then um, when you see the ripple effects out to things like Ask Jeeves as a ver- one of the very first search engines that exists. Yeah, and it's just uh,
1: American culture is different enough that uh, we won't relate to it to the same way, so it doesn't translate as much to American culture.
0: Yeah, um, and I mean, we noted that th- these stories were written across decades and uh, dozens and dozens of them. Bertie uh, Wooster is the narrator of almost all the stories. I think it was except for two. And we're talking about one of the exceptions, uh, which is Birdie Changes His Mind. That one is narrated by um, Jeeves. And I, th- I think I mean, we can go ahead and talk about it here. It is a very clever trick that has to be pulled off with a very deft hand in order for the narrator to be the one that is less informed about what's going on or the one that is (laughs) being manipulated. Uh, uh, And um, it happens where some of the comedy comes from the reader reading uh, Wooster's reaction to Jeeves and the reader catches the double layering of, wooster's naivete or lack of catching uh some of the like maybe subtle barbs that jeeves is throwing his way or the double meaning where uh wooster takes the uh more pleasant or um you know pleasing version of it and the reader can see that there's a little bit of a a snark uh in, in wooster that that's not being delivered in his tone it's just the double meaning of his lines and kind of the wordplay and how he says it and i think that's such a an amazing trick that Wodehouse did consistently in these short stories—to—to um, mm-hmm. to have the narrator being presenting the reader enough, and the reader—the narrator's the oblivious one, and the reader is in on the joke. Before we move on to the plot summaries, listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode, and we also want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If, you'd like us, uh, if you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming, we're not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast, and all patrons who support us with $5 per, more, uh, per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. On to the plot summaries. So first, Jeeves takes charge. Bertie Wooster catches his butler, Meadows, stealing his silk socks so he fires him. He goes to London to hire a new valet. Jeeves arrives and is completely competent and accommodating. Uh, Wooster is the narrator, and he seems unaware, but the reader can see Jeeves immediately guiding Wooster's decisions. Bertie Wooster has recently become engaged to Florence Cray, and she gave him a book of moral philosophy to read. He is struggling to get through it. Jeeves worked for Florence's father before coming to work for Wooster. Florence asked Wooster to come to her immediately. So he has Steve's pack and they're off. Uh, they're, they're always like going across town. Like any of these trips, is like a day trip <laughs> at least or longer. You know, it's going to be overnight uh, anywhere that they're going in these stories. It turns out that uh, Bertie Wooster's uncle Willoughby had been writing his memoirs and he shared his manuscript with Florence. She was shocked by its contents about Willoughby's somewhat wild adventures in his youth, and these included anecdotes about Florence's father that she does not want to be made public. So she orders Bertie to steal the manuscript before it is sent to the publisher, or she will break off their engagement. Uh, Bertie does steal the manuscript right before it goes into the mail, and he hides it in his room. When Willoughby discovers that the ma- uh, publisher never received his manuscript, he questions Bertie about it. But Bertie lies, saying he hasn't seen it. When Willoughby starts searching the house, Bertie is nervous, especially when Willoughby makes an excuse to look in Bertie's room. with But without having told Bertie, Jeeves has already moved the manuscript and hidden it. So Bertie is not caught caught. Jeeves overheard uh, Bertie's conversation with Florence, and he knew exactly what was going on the whole time. Later, Florence visits again, and Bertie tells her that while he did not destroy the manuscript, it has all been taken care of so their their engagement can stay on. But just then, Willoughby enters and announces that his publisher has received the manuscript. It must have been lost in the mail. Florence angrily breaks off the engagement to Bertie. Jeeves reveals to Bertie that everyone loves to see their name in print, and old men like to relive their young lives, so nobody is going to be bothered by the stories that Willoughby had included in the manuscript. He decided to mail uh, the manuscript into the publisher. Uh, Bertie is very angry and fires Jeeves. Jeeves mentions what a terrible match Florence was for him in terms of taste and temperament. After a night to sleep on it, and after trying to read that moral philosophy book again, Bertie realizes that Jeeves was right and rehires him. That is the end of that short story. So now onto Bertie changes his mind. After seeing a play featuring a father and a daughter, Bertie decides he wants a daughter, and he considers adopting a girl. But then he also muses about just building a larger house so his sister and her three daughters can move in Jeeves seems a little trepidatious about this plan. When Jeeves is driving Bertie the next day, they pick up a 12 year old girl who is hitchhiking. She says she's trying to get back to her boarding school, uh, which she had snuck out of. Uh, Bertie seems to enjoy the conversation with the young girl. When they get to the school, Jeeves takes the headmistress aside and implies that Bertie Wooster is a very well-known figure, and he knows that the headmistress is just going to ask, act like, so of course I know who Bertie Wooster is. <laughs> if this is someone famous and I'm supposed to know them, I can't reveal my ignorance and ask who this really is. Uh, and... Uh, Jeeves further implies that though Bertie might seem reticent, the schoolgirls would be well-served if Bertie could give them a speech. Jeeves then pretends to have car trouble so that Bertie has to stay at the school for the afternoon. Bertie is against his will, asked to speak to the entire uh, class of girls at the school. The girls giggle and make jokes and make fun of him, and Bertie fumbles his way through. (laughs) He's uh, about to tell a story about a stockbroker and a chorus girl because he's just panicked and trying to remember any story he can tell, and the headmistress stops him and cancels the rest of the talk. Uh, Bertie leaves, realizing the girls have stolen his cigarettes. Jeeves tells him the car is now working and they can leave the school. They drive away. Later on, Jeeves asks Bertie if he has given any further thought to finding a larger house so that his sister and her daughters can move in. But Bertie shudders and says he much prefers their status quo. And the third story, without the option. Bertie's in court. He has to pay a fine after some drunken mischief with his old friend, Oliver Sipperly, who he calls Sippy. Bertie um often parties a little too hard once a year boat race night when the Cambridge and Oxford rowing teams race each other and everyone gets a little too crazy that day so he doesn't worry about it. Uh Sippy was feeling put out because he was going to have to spend 3 weeks staying with his aunt's friends the Pringles. Bertie egged him on to stealing a policeman's helmet. Uh, just to try and distract him. That didn't go well, and that's how Sippy and Bertie got arrested. Now, Bertie had a lesser offense and only had to pay a fine, but Sippy has to spend three weeks in jail. Bertie is worried because Sippy needs an allowance from his aunt, uh, and she will find out he's in jail if Sippy doesn't go to visit the Pringle family's home. Bertie asks Jeeves what can be done, and Jeeves suggests that Bertie go and pretend to be Sippy. Bertie thinks this is ridiculous, but then Jeeves mentions that Bertie's own aunt, Agatha, has just heard that Bertie was arrested and had to pay a fine to get out of jail. So Bertie agrees it's a good time to disappear for a few weeks. Uh, things go awkwardly at the Pringles, uh, but especially so when an acquaintance arrives and recognizes Bertie is not Sippy. So Jeeves and Bertie have to go visit Sippy's aunt before she hears the news from the Pringles that Sippy hasn't been visiting them, because Sippy's in jail. Bertie explains the prank to Sippy's aunt, and to his surprise, she is delighted because she hates policemen. Because the local constable has been bothering her. So any prank against policemen is a good prank in her book. We learn that Jeeves had bribed the local constable, who is his cousin, to summon Verisipri for speeding in her car, for walking her dog without a collar, for not taking proper care of her chimney. Like any, any minor infraction that that she's doing, he, uh, the police are actually going to summon her for this. Uh, because she is now feeling prejudiced against the police, she approves of Sippy's prank and Sippy is no longer in trouble. Birdie pays Jeeves back for both the fine that got him out of jail that Bertie had, or that Jeeves had covered and also for the bribe that Jeeves paid to the constable. The end. All right, John. Why were these the three stories that you wanted us to cover? I like them all, and I think there's good good stuff, uh, but I'm not as familiar with any of the other yeah. stories that are out there. So what was it about these three particular ones that stood out? Well,
1: part of it was drawing from a uh, specific collection. Mm-hmm. So it was 10 stories, so it was just... What can we pick there? And I picked the first one because that's about uh, Jeeves and Wooster meeting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did the one from Jeeves' point of view because we don't get that a lot, and so that was interesting. And then the other one I thought was just emblematic of some of the a lot of the farce that goes on of mistaken identities, of trying to fool other people and play different roles to get a small. Um, a relatively small issue solved. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they they, they go so through it's, it's a like, lot of hoops. And- yeah, is it making it's the example of making the mountain out of a molehill, mm-hmm. where there's probably a simple solution, but no, let's go through all these this rigmarole. Well, the, the simple and,
0: solution would be you know honesty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but instead let's go through all this rigmarole to try and solve it. And in the end, you do have to reveal the truth anyway, because that's what makes these characters still remain likable. Uh, You can't have them continue on uh, being liars uh, because that becomes less uh, pleasant for the reader. You can't root for them anymore. So they can go uh, down the path of lying for comedy's sake. But in the end, you know, the truth has to come out. Um, And I thought the last one in particular uh, demonstrated um, Jeeves being a step ahead. Uh, In his plotting, even more so than the manuscript one uh, and the uh, the schoolgirl one, those ones felt more like um, maybe taking advantage of a situation that presented itself, whereas the last one felt like he was moving the pieces around the board.
1: Yeah, that's usually more of the case of especially with these farce stories where he has more information than he gives Mm -hmm. that allows him to accomplish the goal, but he needs the distraction of all that farce in order to accomplish it.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, there's different kinds of cleverness involved in seeing what situation has presented itself to you and reacting in a very controlled and appropriate manner, which he does in the first two stories versus, um, seeing the problem and also seeing a solution. That's many moves ahead. Yeah. And at a certain
1: point in the stories, um, you just start, uh, what else just starts with a narrative shortcut of, you know, it's always this friend coming to, Wooster asking for help to solve things. And eventually the friend comes over and says, What does Jeeves think about this?
0: <laughs> like it becomes just, known. Yeah, it just, that Jeeves like, is the skip, brains here. <laughs> yeah, let's skip the pretense of asking Wooster. Well, I saw some commentary when I was like looking up the trivia that um both readers had made the connection and also Wodehouse had commented explicitly on um Jeeves being more of the Sherlock Holmes figure and um Wooster being the more more bumbling interpretation of Watson that we often see, I can uh, definitely
1: see that where, uh, and that's par- probably why uh, Wooster's the narrator as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps keep Jeeves enigmatic. Um, that how much does he know? How does he get his information? Instead of just he just kind of magically presents it as though he's all knowing,
0: right? And I th- I think that same ambiguity. Um, here is played for comedy, whereas in Sherlock Holmes, it's played for mystery, right where where mm-hmm. the the audience isn't supposed to know everything. so Sherlock Holmes as the narrator wouldn't work. Uh, we, we need Watson to be the one asking the questions so that uh, Holmes can give the big reveal. Uh, whereas for this, we get the comedy of like the double meanings and the uh, you know the layered interpretations of Jeeves' commentary uh, about about uh, Wooster, and also like Wooster's reactions. Where sometimes we see the reactions, and it feels like Wooster feels like he has just uh, you know happened upon this bright idea. And for us, we know you're you've just been primed, <laughs> you know by by Jeeves, and and he kind of led the horse to the water, and now you're drinking and thinking you found the water yourself.
1: Or the, there are times when he uh, explicitly goes against Jesus' advice, thinking that he is more
0: clever, mm-hmm. and it always backfires. <laughs> um, about the characters themselves, uh, for an. Like you said, uh, definitely more n- well-known in the Anglo world than maybe in the American, for, for American audiences, but characters that have been endured for decades and have been adapted into every storytelling medium <laughs> because they seem very popular in- and, and even fictional characters as, uh, like like known fictional characters, becoming spokespeople is a very odd thing to me. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, so they've definitely had a major effect. What do you think about these characters has allowed for that kind of impact and that enduring popularity and that urge to uh, see them, Uh, you know, adapted into every storytelling medium.
1: Well, part of it is, and you could not go into this in the summary is, uh, voice. He is so specific in how he talks in this, um, slang and Mm -hmm. jumbled manner that somehow still gets the point across, but is obfuscated by his language.
0: It really, it feels like verbal bumbling. Mm hmm like like, there's almost uh, like a, a pratfall, you know, th- this broad physical comedy of the stage, but being done on the page with how the line is being delivered.
1: Yeah, and it's um, a constant contrast between Rooster as this younger generation and the older generation, um, particularly his aunt, his seeming army of aunts that support him, mm-hmm. um, that they are all prim and proper and have been brought up in a a certain type of uh British uh gentry manner. Yeah. And here's Wooster in the roaring twenties with uh this loose, youthful energy that is in such contrast and so like whenever they meet, half the time the aunts have to ask, what is he actually saying?
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and so that's part of the appeal is that tone mm-hmm. that um Wooster brings. But also this is a very class uh oriented story where you have Worcester as upper class uh gentry where he doesn't have to work he his family owns land and that makes money for them versus Jeeves who does have to work for a living and if you've watched Downton Abbey uh you know 1920s was a volatile period for the gentry a lot of them were having to sell off their land uh to pay off debts uh, because they couldn't get the land to work for them anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there's a real class consciousness here of, um, you know, so to a certain degree, making fun of the upper class, but in a kind of coded way of, yeah, look at those um, bumbling upper class, but they're still in charge. So we, we have to show, all right, it's the working class that supports them and is guiding them in their leadership mm-hmm. um, through Jeeves and it's so there's this I think this message of oh it's the working class that is actually making England work uh function but we'll let the gentry think they're doing it
0: yeah and very much we know always that Jeeves is the the power behind the decision making yes (laughs) Yes. uh whether it is uh Wooster's Fashion sense; it gets altered in the first story. Like I didn't talk about it, but uh, we we get Wooster thinking that he has this very sharp uh, new suit that uh, people are commenting on and asking where he got it. Uh, And Jeeves has an aside about, "Well, they're asking so they know where not to shop, sir, (laughs) you know, uh, know, to to avoid that particular tailor." Uh, And by the end of the story, um, Wooster is following Jeeves' fashion advice. Uh, And that is
1: a common theme. As well, of what is Jeeves' reward for being able to accomplish the task? Mm-hmm. And it's usually something about Wooster's fashion and correcting it.
0: <laughs> okay, I didn't I didn't catch that. that so, I, I think in one of those stories, it did talk about a socks also. I think yes. that his, uh, he was wearing purple socks and Jeeves did not approve of those. Yeah, so the it's socks. usually the color of
1: the garment. Sometimes it's yeah. the style, but it's okay, like Wooster's, or yeah, Wooster's. In love with his style, and Jeeves silently is saying no. And the, and so by the by the end for his reward, uh Wooster will now agree with mm-hmm. Jeeves all about style. <laughs>
0: um so I found I, I was just googling for like quotes from uh Wooster and Jeeves and Wodehouse, and I found uh the first one, this is from a uh a penguin Publishers you know, website all about the genius of Wodehouse, and it has a whole bunch of quotes. And the first one that it gives is uh, Wooster saying, I marmaladed a slice of toast with something of a flourish, and I don't suppose I've ever come much closer to saying tra-la-la as I did the lathering for I was feeling in mid-season form this morning. Um, (laughs) It's just absurd and long uh, and uh, has unnecessary little tangents in there and very self-congratulatory in a way that the reader, uh, like, we feel this is pricking him, (laughs) Uh, but he feels this is showing him in the best light.
1: Yeah, and it's that playfulness of belt language. And again, the you know that classist take of, oh, they're you know the gentry's all flourishes, mm-hmm. and uh, but ultimately empty of meaning.
0: Yes, and I think that's. Uh, I wanted to talk some about the characters. So, uh, if if you were going to define Wooster, uh, our our kind of foppish upper class narcissist. Um, who is filled with unearned confidence (laughs) Uh, uh, and retains it even when he's given evidence that he's in the wrong. Uh, That's also one aspect of this is uh, there's the never changing, almost like a comic strip character, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not looking for the evolution. I think the short story in particular, like repeated short stories, do better for that than novels. I haven't read any of the novels, um, but uh, I, I think that's something audience come to expect, uh, where it can almost become soothing to see the same character, uh, you know, fall prey to the same mistakes over and over again. Um, is there, beyond those aspects, though, what, what do you think would define Wooster? Bertie Wooster. It's a great name, too, Bertram, yeah. Bertie. But, you know, all versions of this are fantastic.
1: So he believes himself to be learned because he's college-educated. Mm -hmm. Um, but he probably actually didn't attend classes. Uh, and so he has naivete about how the world really works. He thinks he knows, uh, and will act on that impression, but, uh, constantly in the stories it's revealed, he doesn't
0: understand how the world actually works. Mm -hmm. And in terms of social commentary, I think that first one that we we summarized was kind of saying this has always been the way of these men that are in power (laughs) that they they goof off when they're young. Eventually, they're given enough uh, gravitas by society around them that we feel like they're very respectable and knowledgeable and have earned the right to make decisions for all of society and culture around them. Uh, But really, they just want to relive their goofy (laughs) younger days at college.
1: And, you know, I think you're also coming out of World War One with this mm-hmm. um, within a few years. And that really showed the idea of, oh, just because they were born into that class, uh, they're leaders. Because World War I, you know, all the leadership came from the upper class. And they were just granted those titles of general and major without experience. And expected to lead all the working class men <laughs> into battle. And that didn't go well in world war one. And so you have, I think you have that attitude coming in. I mean, that's, I I
0: think society and I am less familiar with the, the changes in British class culture. um, But that's, I think coming out of there is where you see some of the breakdown and uh, the, um, you know, rise of those lower and, and middle classes into greater authority.
1: Yeah. And so there's, you know, these stories are part of that change and, you know, it's highly coded. Um, It's not saying, like it's never says that um Wooster served during World War One or, mm-hmm. or that Jeeves did that I'm aware of. Um so it's saying like we're not going to talk about the trauma, but we are going to uh talk about what's come out of that with uh the class system changing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. Anything else about Birdie? Um. It, it seems like he is. Uh. At, at least. In, I mean. In these ones, he's unlucky in love, right? Uh, well, not kind of the... uh, not so much unlucky,
1: as um, often the choices are foisted upon him. Like his aunt, one. Of, you know, some of his aunts. He has several. Uh, will want him to get married and move up in life, move on mm-hmm. in his progression, which he never does. That's part of the
0: nature of the stories. Right. Well, like the the one where he was thinking about adopting the girls, it is very explicit that both Wooster and Jeeves are happy with the status quo. And, uh, and, part and that of Jeeves' Wooster maneuvering is, is not ready to be a parent. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah I, I, <laughs> no, that would have been a bad choice. But part of the plot, I think that we're supposed to read is that Jeeves feel like feels like he's got it pretty good. Yeah. Um, being the gentleman's gentleman to... Someone that he can largely control, uh, and mm-hmm. that he enjoys the status quo and wants to see that maintained as much as Birdie does. Yes, and he just had to remind Birdie <laughs> that the status yeah. quo was good. And in, yeah,
1: and regularly remind Birdie that the status quo is good. Uh huh. Um, now, with like I said, the naivete and um, real la- uh, lack of education about the real world. Birdie is still the one that all his friends turn to for advice. And so we got Spiffy in this. There's um, Biffy and Newt and all these fantastic <laughs> nicknames he has for his friends.
0: Um, Which simultaneously and- feels like a very uh, juvenile and uh, lower class thing. Like like some of these names you'd expect like in The Outsiders. Um, but mm-hmm. it also feels very British boarding school. <laughs> don't exactly. know why, what that says about my Pop culture consumption of these things Well I think you hit it right there
1: on Juvenile which is a lot of what Birdie is he's at the uh, Stage where he should be taking on more responsibility and growing up mm-hmm. um, Coming out of college but He's not ready to none of his friends Really are um, Now and-
0: in terms of continuity like do We have any sense of like age progressing Like or is this are these characters forever uh, Kind of late 20s And 20s for Wooster and early 30s, mid 30s for Jeeves is kind of what the sense I had was. But I guess I don't know. Yeah. Uh, And not
1: having gone through the entire catalog myself, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. They seem to stay in this range for most of the stories that I've encountered. Okay, Uh,
0: I mean, it it becomes almost the, uh, you know, the the kind of unchanging, uh, you know, like of a a comic book character, Uh, mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that that uh, you're going to give the audience um, much much the same. Uh, I, and there's not the actual progressions. It's, it's very episodic. Um, there's no continuity to keep track of, um, or at least that's my sense of it. Again, haven't read all 35 short stories and 11 yeah. novels. Um, and it, I think there's something that can be very pleasing to that. Um, we, we do live now in, in in a world where a lot of storytelling is built on complex continuity and interconnectedness and transformation. Uh, but there's also, I think, something to be said for going and, and revisiting the familiar. Yeah, and I think in the first
1: story, that gives you a sense of what the family dynamic is like, where um, someone will come and say, I need to do this so the family doesn't get embarrassed. Mm -hmm. So that we avoid embarrassment about some trivial topic that only a handful of people will care about. (laughs) Um, But all of his, his peers come to him often for romantic advice. Uh, which yeah, I know, <laughs> or maybe not romantic advice, but help with a romantic situation, and right. Um, this I'll expect Bernie to have this knowledge about it, even though, as we see, he's um
0: not great in that field either. <laughs> no, no evidence in the, in the stories that I've seen, no, uh, to support that. That, that is great, but it is interesting that, um, his reputation and and perhaps born out of uh Jeeves getting him out of so many scrapes is that um you know he's someone you could come to for help mm-hmm. um and that says something about his uh I, I mean also i think his there is like an affable good naturedness to uh Wooster, where yes, we're gonna poke fun at his naivete uh and his kind of cluelessness in some of these instances, but also his arrogance doesn't come off as malicious. Like he's not, he's not yeah, I, patronizing or talking down.
1: I was, um, was going to say like, he's good natured and good intentioned. Mm-hmm. And so he always wants to help. Whether his help is actually beneficial or not.
0: Yeah. Cause he's, he's a buffoon archetype, not a villain archetype, uh, mm-hmm. which with the upper class, you, you very often will see like a maliciousness uh, and a snobbishness and a sense of superiority that is, um, as much born out of a sense of like my right full place is is here at the top and but also you are decidedly and deservedly beneath me and I don't get that from him. Mm-hmm. it's uh the, it, it it's fun to kind of uh you know that that fraser quote it's it's fun to prick the balloon of his pomposity <laughs> it, 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 you know because <laughs> he is pompous uh it, it, and that that is definitely part part of the character, but it's not a maliciousness. Uh, within it yeah. which makes it yeah, more fun to hang out with him
1: yeah and so like um the one where he has to imitate or impersonate his friend mm-hmm. like he was trying to raise his friend's spirits and he says let's go pull a prank and it wasn't let's go be mean to a police officer it's like let me help my friend feel better
0: yeah and also not i'm gonna i'm going to have my friend do something that will get him in trouble for my own amusement like they were yeah. in it together the friend was in a little more trouble because I think he was the one who actually stole the cap or uh, helmet or whatever it was. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but it wasn't uh, again, a a version of the upper class villain that we sometimes see is like, I'm going to go make this other person do something for my entertainment and I will bear no consequences. Yeah. All right. Now let's talk a little bit about Jeeves. Uh, There is something so delightful in um, like, And I I don't know how to describe it because I'm, you know, this is stories that I heard or that you would read on a page, but it feels, it felt like you could sense more was going on behind his eyes with every line of dialogue that was delivered.
1: (laughs) Yes. So there, that is what he says reflects several more thoughts that he's having. Mm -hmm.
0: And And I I think Stephen Fry must be a, uh, uh, like a quintessential version of this character. (laughs) Because that that uh, feels like, like a very Stephen Fry kind of role to have.
1: No, like Fry and Laurie, uh, or comedic partners. And at that point I've been working probably over a a decade uh, from college on.
0: Yeah. And, and I think uh, a lot of American audiences know Hugh just, Laurie from the tortured, uh, savant doctor, right? <laughs> like the tortured genius. Yeah, from, uh, from house. house. But he was playing very broad comedy, uh, in England. Like if you see oh. him in uh black adder, it's like, wait, that's, that's house. <laughs> yeah. If
1: all you've seen of Hugh Laurie is house, check out his comedy mm-hmm. because, uh, I mean it is a completely different character type but you could tell that they um as they embody these character types like it was a perfect casting not only because they already had the pre-existing relationship but just uh physicality how they're built um uh, how they already naturally delivered lines mm-hmm. uh, it, like it was just a, a perfect setup for uh actor and character
0: yeah cuz uh Hugh Laurie when he's doing his comedy roles he will do this like wide-eyed goofiness uh, and like slack jawed uh, mm-hmm. when, he, when he's playing kind of the buffoon type character. And Stephen Fry will play a much more reserved style of comedy against that broadness that he is giving. And for Wooster and Jeeves, it, it really does seem like uh, they're embodying these characters uh, in, in like, I, I can't imagine them switching, right? Even though they're both well, gifted actors yeah. and, have, and play very different roles in other settings. But for those two, it's like, well, of course he has to be Wooster. And of course he has to be Jeeves.
1: Well, and, uh, Stephen Fry as a person just has that uh, intellectual curiosity that he's always exploring new ideas and trying to learn.
0: And, one and is, I, I think we have a cultural gravitas that we've given to him because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that may, I don't know if that was all there in the nineties, but certainly uh, with like how he gets presented on the internet and everything, we, we do give him a, a like a level of gravitas that fits for Jeeves. Yes. And, um. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Uh, and as to Jeeves himself, um, he has um so much competence, not just in solving all these crises, but in everything he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, how he chooses the clothes, how he makes breakfast—it is you know like that utmost competence
0: to everything. And I'm wondering, do you feel does he guide Wooster for Wooster's benefit? Or, for his own benefit, to maintain the status quo.
1: Both, because one will equal the other.
0: But but if you were going to try and like dig into like is his main motivation uh, that he enjoys the way things are right now, so I'm going to maintain that, or I have a debt to like like my role, my 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 literal job is to help <laughs> Wooster. Which one seems to be driving more? Because like I I definitely see both happening. I'm just wondering like wait, do you have a sense of which one is more? At most in his motivation? um,
1: I think we can get a sense because in that first story, you said he was coming from another position. Mm -hmm. So he's worked as a gentleman's gentleman uh, for a while now. Um, And so working with Jeeves obviously uh, is very fulfilling for him because partly because he has so much control uh, and also gets side benefits. um, You know, sometimes he will earn extra money for his help. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> like, we never uh, see in... we never see what he does with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just oh yo, you've earned a reward.
0: But also, I mean, and... I, I could see being in the role of a butler could be uh, like if, if literally the job and it is explicitly like to take orders, right? That could be very mm-hmm. demeaning or frustrating, um, or uh, it's stop you from feeling like you have any agency in your own life, right? Because because you, cause, cause you yeah. purely and... are reactive to the orders that you're being given. He is a very gentle butler. No, he is. He's
1: he's very competent. And so he can probably do well in a lot of other fields. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think you bring up a good question of why does he choose to continue as the butler
0: when he could do anything
1: else? Yeah. And probably succeed.
0: And I I think some of it, we'd get those glimmers in like the uh, the one where, uh, you know, uh, Bertie wants to have a daughter and Wooster's, or Jeeves is kind of like that. That is not for you. Uh, like he would not be a good dad. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. It's not for you. It's not for uh, the child. But also I, I, I had the sense that he doesn't want to live in a house with a whole bunch of girls. Around. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it would upset the balance that he has. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and, I, and I, I oh, don't think that's at all like, uh, he's not manipulating Wooster out of his money or anything like that, right? Like, like yeah, he's, he's, not, he's mali- not being just like we said, uh, that that G or Wooster is kind of this affable, um, uh, nincompoop <laughs> that yeah. is uh, good natured enough. Uh, Jeeves is a much more competent, but still good natured. Like, he's he could he could have built the Wooster family out of all their money and skipped town, exactly. <laughs> I he don't think not, any of them would know.
1: He is not malicious in any way, yeah. Uh, he's not out to hurt anybody, but
0: and the advice that he's giving Wooster always seems to be. Even even if it can be viewed as self serving for for Jeeves, it also is in Wooster's best interest as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- I think that's one reason why it's such a a satisfying comedic relationship uh, is that the the motivations isn't ever to make one of the other people feel small. Um, and you know there there's styles of comedy that is the the point and laugh style, and and I, we don't get that from this. Even if some of Jeeves' commentary. Does have uh, a sardonic barb underneath it that is uh for, for the reader's benefit and not for, for Rooster's yeah. own. Uh it's 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 still I you I have the sense they like each other, right? Yeah.
1: Well there's a, a trust there. hmm um, that the uh Wooster definitely knows he can always turn to Jeeves for help. Um but I guess uh, one thing is that Worcester provides security for Jeeves that it's job security, but in a place that he enjoys working. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, you know, the fact that you might enjoy your work is a plus in addition
0: to the job security. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Uh, like, like I think work, like having a work ethic is great. Having a work ethic where you're able to apply it to something that is enjoyable. That is just wonderful though. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, and we're definitely seeing it here. Um, well, any other thoughts that you want to make sure we, we cover about Wooster and Jeeves, either as characters or in Wodehouse's writing? I wanted to bring up, one of, I think my favorite
1: lines from the uh, story where it's from Jeeves point of view mm-hmm. and they've arrived at the school for girls and Jeeves is setting up that for Wooster to have his encounter. And uh, he's like, it says something like he goes up to the, uh, where he parked the car and he's like, I looked at the car and it's, it's a fine car, one of the latest models. I had a feeling it was gonna have trouble for a few hours.
0: <laughs> and then when uh when uh Wooster comes out, uh Jeeves says something like, uh, could be the steering or the exhaust. And and and, and, and he's like, Oh too bad. Yeah, like yeah, oh. he does
1: yeah, he knows Worcester has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs>
0: yes. Oh, a problem with the exhaust <laughs> or, or the steering. Yes. The symptoms I have seen indicate it must be either the steering or the exhaust. <laughs> and, and was just accepts that, you know, completely. Yes. Um, and again, like this is blatant manipulation that is happening, but it does not feel mean spirited because uh the end result is the right result yeah (laughs) it is definitely in wooster's best interest that he not adopt a child and absolutely in that child's best interest that he not be (laughs) she be not be adopted by wooster yes (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you john for uh recommending that we we do these um just for the pace of doing the podcast it's always nice to have some short stories uh to cover sometimes <laughs> because <laughs> doing a novel month can start to be overwhelming especially when i'm <laughs> in the midst of grading uh so it was, it was a great um uh scale of story for for me to try and consume uh for this discussion and i really did enjoy them and i will give another shout out to that classic tales podcast um that the uh voice work um from the from the narrator was just top notch all right, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Paginas Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott to you Ghost Art, Theme Music. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So. All right, well, before we move on to the summaries, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. and We want to thank you. Uh, I'm going to give Andrew a fresh read on that.